0: Listen to the Anarchist Wool This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Wool This Week broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. Just go to 3cr.org.au. It's up there for a few weeks. Now, remember, if nature calls, if the federal police knock on your door, if ASIO's ruined your mobile phone, don't despair. The program is podcast. Don't resist. Just go off with them. Happy in the knowledge that the Anarchist World this week is pro- podcast. If you want to know what Anarchy is all about, an Anarchist Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy, the people involved in the decision. Make that decision, appoint or elect delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, national and regional level. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why is that an anarchist society? The word anarchos from which the English anarchism, anarchist comes from, means without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You create a society without rulers by devolving power and sharing wealth. If you've got a better idea, let me know. I've been around a long time. I would love to know. Okay, let's look at the news of the week. Well, we're the news of the week, you and me, all right? We're the news of the week. The rest is just chatter, idle chatter. But there has been a lot of idle chatter about a lot of idle things. So we'll start off with the uh, plebiscite. Yes, the plebiscite. Now, there seems to be a little bit of division in the Australian community. I mean, some people want a plebiscite, some want a parliamentary vote. Well, I don't want either. What I want is a referendum. And I'll tell you why. What's the point of a plebiscite, which is basically a poll to see who supports what? It is a poll of the electorate. That's all it is. It has no legal standing. Parliament doesn't have to take any notice of it, although they've promised they will. No standing whatsoever. And parliamentary uh, debate... And passing legislation for marriage equality, well, Parliament giveth and Parliament taketh away. You may have a sympathetic Parliament in two thousand and sixteen, in two thousand and thirty two. You may have a Parliament that thinks thinks that uh, marriage equality is a, you know, is, is against God's will, which is what we're hearing today. So, what we need in this country, irrespective of the fallout, irrespective of the fallout, because sometimes there has to be fallout in order to move forward, is we need a referendum. And if a majority of Australians in a majority of states vote for marriage equality, that decision will be incorporated in the Australian constitution and only the people in a subsequent referendum can remove that new addition to the Australian Constitution. And that is the strength of a referendum in comparison to a plebiscite. That is the strength of a referendum. If you think you have that support in the Australian community, you harness that support and incorporate marriage equality in the Constitution. That means no grubby little parliamentary representative, and all you've got to do is look at the Parliament of today to see how many grubby little people there are in it. No grubby parliamentary representative will be able to change that after coming into some grubby backroom deal because it's only the Australian people in a referendum that can change the Australian Constitution. The only problem is... The only problem is it's only Parliament, only Parliament which can put a question to the people as a referendum, and nobody in Parliament is currently talking about a referendum on this issue, and this is, to me, is the central question that we should be pushing for and asking for. Listen, to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia. On the Community Radio Network Now, I'm sure you've all got your little Olympic fix Hey, even I watched a bit of the Olympics That gymnastics was just amazing what a human body can do Well, I didn't think of the cost to the individual But that's a different story The cost But uh, extraordinary stuff Extraordinary stuff Forget about the running and swimming I mean, you either run Fast, or you swim fast, you know. If you're good at it, you, you train. But gymnastics—that's a whole different ball game. Now, I thought just like to remind people about Peter Norman, Peter George Norman, a great Olympian. They tell me once you're an Olympian, you can never have the title removed, and that's something I'll never be, and most of our listeners won't be, as Olympians. So who's Peter Norman? What's so great about Peter Norman? What's Peter Norman got to do with the Olympics? And those of you who, you know, marvelled at Mr Bolt's capacity to run fast and uh, win gold medals need to look back at 1968. When the Olympic, the world record... For the first time in human history, the 200 metres was broken uh, for uh, 20 20 seconds. I think it was 19.94 seconds. And Tommy Smith from the United States won that medal. And Peter George Norman, a Coburg boy from Melbourne, Won silver in a time of 20.06 seconds. A time that has never been beaten by an Australian athlete. Never. That's a record that's now stood for 48 years in this country. So who's Peter George Norman? Why am I wasting your time talking about Peter George Norman? Because Peter George Norman highlights the personal price that people pay when they take a stand. And people seem to forget there's always a personal price to pay when you take a stand. Peter George Norman is is an example, a shiny example, of the personal price. And Mr Peter George Norman paid an extraordinary personal price for supporting universal human rights. He was born in Coburg, 1942 in Melbourne. He represented Australia in the 19, 1968 Mexico, Mexico Olympics. And as I said, he won a silver medal in a time of 2000, 20.06 seconds. Now, there were three people on the dice, and this is one of the... This is one of the pivotal images of the 20th century, and there are very few pivotal images of the 20th century that remain in people's mind. There were three people. There was gold medalist Tommy Smith, the Australian silver medalist Peter George Norman, and bronze medalist John Carlos. Now, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were Afro-Americans who were caught up in the civil rights movement. They were part of the Olympics, the United States Olympics, push for universal human rights. Both Tommy Smith and John Carlos asked Peter Norman, whether he believed in human rights and whether he believed in god he answered both he answered yes to both questions the americans told him they would use the middle presentation to promote their cause promote the cause of universal human rights and he told them i'll stand with you on the way to the middle ceremony in Mexico City. Peter Norman asked the United States rower, Paul Hoffman, if he could wear the badge he was wearing, a badge that supported the Olympic Project for Human Rights. While Smith on Carlos gave the Black Power salute, Norman stood on the dais wearing the Olympic Project for Human Rights badge to publicly demonstrate his solidarity with their protest. Retribution was swift. Smith and Carlos were shunted off the, nivel, the middle dice and air freighted back to the USA to be forgotten. Shunned. Forgotten. When Peter Norman returned back to Australia in 1968, he was abused by the media in this country. Abused for showing his support for universal human rights. Retribution by the Australian Olympic Committee was swift and brutal. Norman was reprimanded when he came home. As I said before, the media abused and ostracised him. The Australian Olympic track team refused to send Norman to Munich in 1972, despite Norman posting Olympic qualifying times in both the 100 and 200 metres. The 1972 Olympics was the first time since 1896... That Australia had not been represented in the sprints. Peter George Norman was written out of this country's history. Salt was rubbed into an open wound in 2000 when the Australian Olympic Committee did not invite Peter Norman, 1968 200 metres. Silver medalist to participate in the celebrations surrounding the Sydney Olympics. While every other Tom, Dick, and Harry was a guest of the Australian Olympic Committee, Peter Norman was continued to be ostracized and marginalized in 2000. When well, the United States track and field team contacted him, and asked him why he wasn't there. He told them why and they invited him to live with them in Sydney and participate in the Sydney Olympics as a guest of the United States track and field team. Peter Norman died of a massive heart attack aged 64. On the 3rd of October 2006, a disillusioned man, ostracised, marginalised for a lifetime. For on that pivotal moment at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, for supporting universal human rights, Both Tommy Smith, the gold medalist, and John Carlos, the bronze medalist, attended his funeral in Melbourne, acting as pallbearers and delivering eulogies to a great Australian who had been ostracised and forgotten by a nation that continues to give lip service to human rights. Cast your mind back to the last few weeks. Cast your mind back to the debacle as far as children in prison is concerned. Cast your mind back to the debacle at Manus Island in Nauru. The US Track and Field Federation realising the personal great personal cost Peter Norman bore through his life because of his brave, dignified and moral stand in the struggle for human rights he declared the 9th of October, the diocese funeral in two thousand six as Peter Norman Day. A day that is celebrated in the United States and ignored in this country, lest we forget. This year, as we've done over the past four years, we'll be holding a Peter Norman Human Rights Day event at midday on Sunday the 9th of October. We normally hold it in what we call Human Rights Square, formerly City Square Square. And this year we'll be holding it at the corner of Collins and Swanson Street because of the whole of City Square is now a construction zone. So the corner of Little Sorry, the corner of Little Collins and Swanson Street. Honor Great Honor a Great Australian who has been written out of this country's history book. Sorry, the corner of Collins and Swanson Street. I'll just say not Little Collins, Collins and Swanson Street, City Square there. Can't go wrong. So, join us on the day. Another event, which has been initiated by the Anarchist Media Institute in this country. Another event. But again, we're not just there to remo- remember a moment in time. We're there to highlight an important event in this country's history, which, which has a profound impact or should have a profound impact on each and every one of us. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. So put that day in your diary, Sunday the 9th of October 2016 at uh, City Square in Melbourne, corner of uh, Collins and Swanson Street, Melbourne. Hey, you too can organise a Peter Norman day. You too. doesn't matter where you are in Australia. Lots of information. You too can organise it. So go ahead, do it. This is what I keep saying to people. Look, you can think about things, 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 and then you die. Hmm? And I haven't seen many people from the other side doing much on planet Earth. But I have seen a lot of people on this side doing lots of things for the human race and planet Earth. And It really doesn't take much energy. It takes a little bit of initiative, a little bit of courage, but it doesn't take much energy to organise things. And if you organise things, people will come. As I say, although I disparage the... uh, The internet warrior, I don't disparage, I don't disparage the fact that it's, you know, it's a great way of getting ideas across to people and you can also use that to organise things for yourself and for the people around you, you know, simple. All right, this is uh, the anarchist world this week, let's move on. Now, you may not know this, and I'm sure you won't. I'm I'm sure you all knew about the 100th anniversary of the ANZAC landing on the 25th of April, 2015. I'm sure you're all excited about that. I'm sure you're all waving your flags and doing the right thing. I'm sure you all did the right thing. All of you. Every single one of you. But I am concerned regarding the 28th of October. 28th of October? 28th of October, I hear you say. What's the 28th of October? Well, to me, the 28th of October is just as important, if not more important, than the 25th of April. The 28th of October 2016 marks the 100th anniversary of a plebiscite, yes, that P word again, plebiscite, that was held by the Billy Hughes-led government to introduce conscription in Australia to sacrifice another 60,000 young Australians on the European killing fields. Now Australia had a population of about 5.5 million in 1916. And about a million people lived in the city of Melbourne in 1916. And on the 21st of October, 1916, the Women's Peace Army... one of the cornerstones of the Australian anti-conscription movement. Remember, this was during the height of the the war, when thousands of dead dead were occurring in this country as a result of this war. On the 21st of October 1916, in Melbourne, the Women's Peace Army organised a march which saw 10% of Melbourne's population Walk from Story Hall at RMIT, the upper end of Swanson Street, down to the Arrow Bank to hear a, be- a bevy of women speakers campaign against the conscription referendum, which was held one week later on the 28th of October. Now, World War I, as we all know, wasn't a war fought for freedom or equality or democracy. It was essentially a dirty little trade war which was fought by workers at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, king and country. In this country, over 400,000 men volunteered to fight in this war. 62,000. That's about one in six died on the European killing fields. Another 60,000 died within 10 years of returning to this country of their war wounds. So almost 40% of those six, those 400,000 that volunteered died as a direct consequence of World War One. And when you think of the social dislocation and the family violence and the post-traumatic stress, which they used to call... Uh, a special word for it, a bomber shock or something, I've forgotten. Um, the price that this country paid was enormous and you know about this price because every little town, every little village, every suburb has its World War I monument and if you take the time to read the names you can see the profound effect it had on this country. But at the same time, there was a vibrant, strong, anti-conscription movement spearheaded by the industrial workers of the world, some of the most radical workers we've seen in this country, joined by the Roman Catholic Church led by Archbishop Mannix in Melbourne, joined by women's groups, joined by large sections of the trade union movement who opposed, not only opposed the war, but opposed the attempts of the government of the day to introduce conscription because so many men were dying at the front that they needed to be replaced and the volunteers had dried up because many people understood that this was just another little trade war fought by workers either end of the bayonet. And Billy Hughes who initially started off as a Labour Prime Minister and then took a third of the, of, the, of the Parliament across to the Conservative side and became the Prime Minister of a Conservative alliance which supported the war, fearing a general strike and riots in the streets if he introduced conscription, called a plebiscite on the 28th of October, 1916. He was so confident of victory that men were being called up and drilled in preparation to being sent overseas before the plebiscite was held. But contrary to popular expectations, because of this strong anti-war anti-conscription movement, conscription was defeated in the plebiscite, which was held on the 28th of October 1916. And it's no exaggeration to say that if that conscription referendum had not been defeated, another 60,000 young Australian men would have been sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God King, and country. No exaggeration. So as we do, we will mark that day And on the 28th of October, the Anarchist Media Institute will be organising a gathering outside Story Hall at RMIT at the upper end of Swanson Street. And why that venue? As I said before... This was the headquarters of the Women's Peace Army. This was the headquarters of the anti-conscription movement in Melbourne. This is the very organisation that brought out 10% of the, Australian, of the Melbourne people in a mass protest against conscription one week before the referendum. And we will peacefully honour the memory of those people who did all they could to ensure that human life wasn't sacrificed for nothing. So, so it'll be at midday. So keep listening to the Anarchist World this week. We'll have material up regarding that particular event, campaign, in the next week or so. And why? Why? This is not just some historical, you know, reenactment it's not just a matter of paying respect and honouring the past this is much more because those of you who are a little bit ears prick up think about what's happening today think about the pivotal role Australia is going to play in any future war think about who the partners are forget about the Middle East that's a sideshow although it's a horrible sideshow if the deafs of tens of thousands, the displacement of millions. The main games in the Pacific between China and the United States of America. Think of the saber rattling. Think of the alliances we've entered into in the last two to three, in the last four years, which have allowed US United States troops to be deployed and trained in Northern Australia. Think about all the bits and pieces of information which are swirling about about this possible confrontation between the United States and China and the fact that Australia will have to make a choice. Do we support our major trading partner, China, or do we support the United States Alliance? Because if there is conflict... I can assure you that Northern Australia will play a pivotal part in that conflict. So what we are seeing is the preparation, the slow preparation that creates the climate of conflict. We see the rise of militarism. We see the rise of nationalism. We see how, on both sides, we see how the fires are stoked for that possible confrontation. That's how wars begin. So to take part in this ceremony on the 28th of October is a slap in the face of militarism and nationalism. It highlights that this country does have a history of resisting militarism and nationalism through the anti-conscription struggle of World War I, a very difficult struggle considering that your neighbour's son had been killed on the front, that families were divided regarding this issue. But we need to remember the past to understand the present and possibly change future consequences. And those future consequences can be quite horrendous for this country and the people in this country. Think about it. We don't need conscripted soldiers anymore. We do is press a button and, hey, bingo, it's all over. Think about it. So join us on the day. And let's not forget the Billy Hughes government was so incensed about losing the conscription referendum Billy Hughes was so incensed that, unlike New Zealand and Britain, where they had introduced conscription successfully to sacrifice young men on the European killing fields, that when he went to Europe he was snubbed because he couldn't even introduce conscription. When he came back in 1917, a second referendum was held on the 20th of December 1917, which put conscription again in a plebiscite to the Australian people and again the Australian people, despite the massive loss of life that occurred, refused, refused point blank to accept conscription. you least to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And talking in the same vein, you've noticed again how things change. Fifty years ago, we saw again... The emergence of an anti conscription movement in terms of the Vietnam War. We saw the emergence of the Vietnam Moratorium Movement. And we saw many Australians involved in that struggle to ensure that people didn't die, Australians didn't die unnecessarily fighting other people's wars in other people's lands. And again, we've slowly seen. The rewriting of history over the last few years. The rewriting of history to suit current political concerns. I've got no problem, you know, regarding honouring Vietnam veterans because it's not the anti-war movement that they should be, you know, pointing their uh, bile at. It should be the government of the day, the government of the day which introduced a conscription system which was based on a ballot based on your birthday, the government of the day which, you know, ostracised veterans, refused, refused to accept that their health had been compromised by the defoliants and the chemicals that were were being used to deforest Cambodia, Laos and Vietnam. Refused point blank to take any responsibility for the post-traumatic stress disorders which were rife in the community. And let's not forget it wasn't the Whitlam government which withdrew the troops from Vietnam. I mean, the Whitlam government released the draft resistors from prison, but it was the McMahon Liberal National Party government which withdrew the troops from Vietnam. And it was their responsibility to look after the needs of veterans when they came home. So let's celebrate both groups, those both involved in the anti-war and the anti-conscription movement 50 years ago, and those who were forced to participate in another dirty little trade war you listen listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. History is a wonderful thing. You know why it's a wonderful thing? Because it highlights the present. Highlights the present. For example, as you know, I'm the convener and secretary of public interest before corporate Interests. I mean, we're attempting, and the key word is attempting to register a new political party based on one concept, that the public interest should always be put before corporate interests. Very simple. Public interest put before corporate interests. Very simple, very simple concept. And as I said before, we are looking for new members. It doesn't cost anything to join. If you're interested, you can um, download the application form from the webpage, pipsy P I B, sorry, info, info, I N F O, at pipsy P I B C I dot net. Info at pipsy. sorry, that's the email. You can download the application form, just go to pipsy.net. dot net, dot net. Ain't got a computer, you can always ring us on 0439 395 489. Oh four three nine three nine five four eight nine, Or you can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 Or you can uh, always Twitter us at, at P-I-B-C-I uppercase underscore A-U uppercase So P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U uppercase we can go to the Facebook page. Just put public interest before corporate interest in your search engine and bingo. But why do I raise it? I'll tell you why. Because currently we have an interesting little parliament, an interesting little parliament. And again, let's look at history. In the 1890s, there was a huge strike wave across the eastern seaboard in Australia, which almost resulted in a revolution. Almost. But that strike wave which was led by the Shearers was defeated. The Labor movement was defeated. Their leaders were jailed. And new impositions were placed on itinerant itinerant rural workers. So the Labor movement made a decision in the 1890s to form political parties. Within 20 years... We had the first Labour government in this on on the planet, federally, and Labour governments in various states. So that's the history. Let's move forward to 2016. What do we have? We have a Liberal National Party which continues its the crap it's good at. You know, pro corporate, pro-business uh, welfare. We've got a Labor Party which has taken on the mantle of the Liberal National Parties, and the Military Guards. Although the Shorten Labor Government has tried to steer away from the neoliberal deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, deregulation juggernaut, just steer away one or two percent. Then we have the Greens who really made up a balls-up of the last election. I mean, led by Mr. Dr Richard Di Natale, they came to an agreement with the Federal Liberal National Party to change the voting system for the Senate from a compulsory preferential system to an optional preferential system, which led... To Turnbull going to a double dissolution election, believing that he would be able to wipe away the crossbenches, and he did wipe away the crossbenches. But in its place, we now have one of the most conservative, reactionary parliaments we have had in this country's history. There is no significant anti authoritarian group within the Australian Parliament, there isn't a political party which puts the public interest before the corporate interests at the heart of its policy initiatives. So we will see over the next three years, and I don't think there will be an early election, but we will see over the next three years a whole bevy of legislation go through both the upper and lower house which will remove rights and liberties and continue to marginalise and ostracise an increasing number of people living in this country. So the time has arrived, if you look at the historical example, for the creation of a new political movement slash party. And public interest before corporate interests, has that potential. We have that potential to fill that void and push push the political agenda in a different direction. And that's what parliamentary representation is about, is about pushing the political agenda in a different direction. Because we need to understand the price of direct action is so extreme, the possibility of a direct action movement growing in this country, considering the type of legislation which we have in place and considering the changes that have occurred to the Australian character that's right character in the last four decades that's becoming increasingly impossible to organise. Even groups as innocuous as the as the Wednesday Action Group, which has a little action once a week in the Melbourne CBD, even groups as innocuous as the Wednesday Action Group are Harris Marginalised, pushed around, harassed by police, private security, council office and the list goes on and on. We live in a country where today it is illegal to withdraw your labour outside a specified enterised bargaining period. You can be fined, you can be jailed, unions can be bankrupted. We have legislation in place that ensures that the trade union movement can no longer provide that impetus. And that's why they're more and more becoming involved in parliamentary action, trying to influence the way people vote at parliamentary elections. Because all the personal space that allowed people to voice their concerns, organise has been removed. To be a trade unionist in Australia in 2016, and let's remember trade union membership is hovering around 20% of workers because of casualisation, is to be a criminal, is to be worse than a criminal. If this new uh, building um, commission comes in, a trade unionist going about their everyday business has fewer rights than somebody who's been charged with drug importation or murder. Because they don't have the right to remain silent. It'll be removed. It was removed before. So when you've got a a situation where trade union activity is criminalised, And occupations are considered to be terrorist events and if you're involved in an occupation under the new legislation that's come in the last 10 years, you can be charged under anti-terrorist laws and jail for 20 years for occupying an office of a corporation or occupying your place of work. You can be charged under anti-terrorist laws. And let's not forget, anti-terrorist laws don't just say These are limited to bikies. These are limited to, uh, you know, murderous Islamic extremists. The anti-terrorist laws affect each and every one of us. And when you have anti-terrorist laws which see, when you have laws which see graffiti as a terrorist offence and you can be charged under those laws, and you think I'm exaggeration, check them, Think again. Think again. So the space for direct action is exceptionally limited. Exceptionally limited. There are huge personal consequences. So in many ways that drives people back into the parliamentary fold and parliamentary type action, and that's things that we should, as a movement, as people who've got a specific, you know, viewpoint, should consider. And the dilemma with Most political parties today Is they are not general political parties They are issue orientated Now I've got nothing against issue orientated parties But in many regards they suck the oxygen from the political process Life is about more than one issue It's about creating a society Which is fair for all That's what it's about it's about ensuring that everybody pulls their weight. It's about ensuring, for example, I'll give you a simple, this is a simple example. This is very simple. Now, we've just had an election. You've got, you know, you've got your parliament. Let's let, we accept that, right? It's there. So what's the first thing on the agenda, apart from so-called protecting volunteers in Victoria, which is a load of crap, but I'll go into that <laughs> another day. So what's the first thing on the agenda? Well, we need to decrease... Expenditure on social security That's what we need to do Okay Brilliant We need to remove the energy uh, Not energy The energy bonus Which is paid to people on social security benefits About $14 a fortnight You know To save a billion dollars Okay We need to do this We need to do that We need to do this We need to do that But what's it all about It's about cutting social security budget Cutting the Medicare budget, cutting the public education budget, cutting the budget which goes to uh, the Indigenous community, and the list goes on and on. Cutting the budget goes to specific, people with specific uh, medical issues and medical disorders and disabilities. And the list goes on and on. Now, where is the debate? Where is the debate about corporations legally paying no tax or voluntary taxation in this country it flares up for two minutes it disappears for a month it flares up for four minutes it disappears but you never have any great debate regarding legislation to introduce new taxes which the corporate sector can't evade because you see, what they when when Chevron pays 256 dollars tax last year, it was all done legally. There's no point shouting at Chevron. When Murdoch received an 886 million dollar tax refund in 2013, while making in the, in those days lots of money, making millions, tens of millions of dollars of profit, there's no point shouting at Murdoch. I mean you can shout at him but there's really no point because these people are working within the legislative framework which is currently in place. Now we have political parties that want a you know a royal commission into Islam and we've got political parties that you know want to see the end of immigration and we've got political parties that you know want to put everybody in jail and the list goes on and on. But where are the political parties that say that the main issue facing this country today is corporate, is the fact there is no legislation in place to ensure corporations pay, pull their weight. We're not asking them to pay any more, but just pull their weight. I mean, concepts that we've raised in the past, and that's what public interest before corporate interest is all about. So join us. Pipsy.net, download the application form haven't got a computer ring me on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489 we'll send you out an application form write to us at post office box 20 parkville 3052 so it's just it really is extraordinary what we are willing to accept And to a large degree, as I said before, it's happened because of the change in culture, the change in the Australian character. Because the important legislation that has gone through Parliament in the last two decades has divided Australia into four classes. The 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. Okay? 33% of Australians rely on social security benefits to survive. That's one class. Doesn't matter what type of pension you have, whether it's a new start allowance, whether it's a disability support pension, although there's a difference in the amount of money you receive. Thirty-three percent of Australians are expected to live on less than four hundred and fifty dollars a week, and in some cases with a new start allowance on less than two hundred and fifty dollars a week. That's a fact. It is a fact. That is one third, that is eight million people in this country are expected to live on that. Then you've got your working class, not your traditional working class, not your blue-collar, white-collar, university divide. All that's gone out the window. That's all garbage. What you've got is a working class which is made up of university graduates, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers who are basically... In casual employment, jumping from job to job, haven't got any of the benefits or the security of full time employment who are trying you know, who are trying to survive. That's another at least forty five percent of the population. Then you've got the big winners, the cultural changes, the aspirational voters. Those people, irrespective of the trade or business, whether employed, self employed, whatever, who have disposable income after their everyday needs are met. And this segment of the population is the segment of the population for which legislation has been passed which allows them to profit at the expense of the other 80%. It's about 15 to 20, 15 to 18 19% of the population. People can negative gear, buy a second home, borrow, uh, play on the stock market and the list goes on and on. And what we've seen over the last 40 years is in the past, two-thirds of wealth created went to the people who created that wealth, workers, and one third went to the uh, shareholders or the investors or the entrepreneurs. Today it's opposite two-thirds to the investor entrepreneur, one third to the workers. And then you've got the, your traditional 1%, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So you've got a huge change in the culture. And what we have is all these splinter issue-orientated parties who don't see the domination of the economy and the culture in Parliament by an unaccountable corporate sector whose only responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shields, who don't see them as the enemy, who see the person of a different colour, a different language group, a different culture, a different religion as the enemy. If we could only get rid of them, we wouldn't have any problems. What a load of crap. So isn't it time For a different mindset, a different game Think about it And just to uh, Finally, don't forget 2pm Sunday the 11th of September After 12 years of work The Tanaminawa Hina Monument will be Officially opened It's At the corner of Flanken Street and Victoria Parade, Melbourne Opposite the old City Jail Put it in your diary 2pm Sunday the 11th of September and if you can't make it the ceremony will be broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR 3cr 3cr.org.au so I'll talk more extensively about that next week so uh, you know think about it put it in your diary it's a Sunday specifically it's been organised by the Melbourne City Council specifically on a Sunday to allow you to bring yourself and your children We'd love to see lots of children on the day so they can actually understand what's going on in this country. So 2pm Sunday, the 11th of September, at the Tanaminawa and Moorboy Hinnock Monument at the corner of Franklin Street and Victoria Parade in Melbourne, opposite the old Melbourne Jail. Now, once again, if you're interested in what I've been talking about, go to my personal face, uh, Facebook page, Toscano Number 4, The Public. You like that? Toscano for The Public. Go to the Pipsy website, Pibc.net, P I B C I dot net. Go to the Tana Minawa Morebohina website, Tunna dot com. Tuna, sorry, Tana Mall. dot com. Go to the Anarch Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. So lots of things to do. If you haven't got a computer, ring me on O four three nine-three nine five four eight nine. Write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 and we'll send you out the material. The Anarchist Wheel this week has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast on 3cr.org.au. It has been uh, streaming live courtesy of the Community Radio Network, which allows the Anarchist Wheel this week to be broadcast across Australia on community radio stations in every state and territory of this country. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Listen in next week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national, and international events. Poisoning their brainwash minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.